last time I was up here, I didn't need any help. <laughs> but that's been a long time ago. But I'm here to not tell you about my aches and pains. You've got your own. But I'm here to tell you that I want to introduce a friend to you. He's been coming here for a long time. Maybe you know him, maybe you don't. Maybe you've seen him, and maybe you haven't. And that friend has a special attachment to him because a certain friend introduced him to me. And let me tell you about that in John chapter 14. I'll tell you about this friend. And uh, I think once I tell you about him, you might recognize who I'm talking about. So I'm going to be talking between John chapter 14 and John chapter 16 this morning. And uh, as I'm going to read this word to you here, and then we'll have a word of prayer. Pick up in John 14 verse 7. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. And Philip said unto him, Lord... Show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus said, Have I been such a time with you, and you have yet not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believe thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me and does the work. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake, verily, verily. I say unto you, he that believeth on me and the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. I go unto my Father. Let's bow for prayer. Our Father, it's always a joy to assemble ourselves together and to worship you and to seek your guidance and the fellowship of one another and, and to let this special friend I'm referring to become involved in our lives so special. And I pray today that as we approach the Easter season, we do so with a clarity of heart and mind and the real purpose of what Easter is. To celebrate the joyous resurrection of the son that gave his blood and died a miserable, torturous death to save us from the wickedness and evil things that we've done. And he did that because he loves us and we're grateful for that. And now as we come to study your word, we ask for divine illumination, recollection, revelation, and appreciation of your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, how many of you have seen my friend? You know who I'm talking about? <laughs> yes, some of you have. Let me, let me re read about a note about, about him. You might, you might know him after I tell you about this. 
Well, he, he's mentioned so many times I can't find exactly the place I wanted to. In John chapter 14, verse 15, you'll find my friend right there. And I hope that he'll be your friend as well. He has some great qualities of life for you. And if you love me, keep my commandments. One of the greatest principles that a Christian can do today is to demonstrate the love of God through our lives to other people. Now, I know that it's, it's casual to walk up to somebody and say, good morning, I love you, but, but do you really love them? Is that just a connotation that you want to use to express your emotions? You see, the word love carries with it some characteristics that we're not familiar with. So if we're going to love Jesus, we're going to give ourselves to him unselfishly. And then he goes and says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And now, and I will pray the Father. Number one thing, pray the Father. First of all, love Jesus. Secondly, and he shall give you another comforter. Now that comforter is my friend. I've learned more about this comfort in the last two years than I have the whole time that I've been in the ministry. I've learned that he's been sitting dormant in my lives. Sometimes I won't let him say anything. Sometimes I won't listen to him. Sometimes I go where he tells me not to go. And all the time, every time I do that, I always suffer the repercussions of not following his guidelines. The Comforter shall show you these things, shall teach you these things. But before you can get that comfort in your life, remember in John chapter 15, if you love me. That's the first principle. Now, you may be a Christian, and I hope you are. If you're not, we'll take care of that before we leave here today. But there's one thing about the Christian life that is overlooked more than any other thing. A lot of people come to church Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, and Sunday night, etc. But they're forsaking themselves of the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the third part of the triune nature of God. You've got God the, God the Father, He sent the Son, and you've got the Son who sent the Holy Spirit, and you've got the Holy Spirit that follows and does what God tells Him to do. This comforter goes with me wherever I go. And sometimes I start to do something and he'll say, I wouldn't go there if I were you. That's a good sign. Just recently I was trying to make up my decision about a, a purchase that I wanted. Fleshly, worldly purchase, okay? Had nothing to do with the church or the Bible. And... When I got through praying about it, and God says, you don't need that. You don't need that. That's good enough. Put it to rest. Now, before I would have gone out half-cocked and made the purchase and regret it later on. But the comforter who shall give you the words... <laughs> who." whom the world cannot receive because he sees him not, neither knows him, 
but you know Him. Now notice it. And He dwells within you. You got a billfold or a purse. You may have some change. You may have a few dollars in there. And when you need it, it's readily available. You can reach in your pocket, your purse, and you get it. So when you come to a moment in life, a crisis or a semi-crisis, or just regular spiritual wisdom, ask God or ask your friend, the Holy Spirit. But if you don't know the Holy Spirit, then you can't, you can't talk to Him. The only prayer that you have is the, is the, the prayer of conviction. And we're going to see in a moment where the Holy Spirit brings conviction into people's lives. And by that conviction, we can only be saved. We can't be saved unless the Holy Spirit convicts us and invites us into Jesus' kingdom. Now you may go through the premises of, of walking the aisle or filling out a card, or your mom and dad are good Christians and been like that all their lives, and you've inherited their uh, type of service to the Lord, but you never had that initial experience, that life-changing experience, something that, that only God can do in your life and my life. He says, I pray the Father, and he'll give you the comforter. Now, I don't know of one prayer that Jesus ever prayed that wasn't answered. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was sweating blood and, and, and knowing what he had in store for him. Nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but yours. And why did he say that? Because he came on a mission. He came, he came on a mission to pay the debt for sinfulness, worldliness, and ungodliness, and unrighteousness. Your sins and my sins have been covered by the blood of Christ. Not mom and daddy, and not preacher inherited, and not John or Joe, the way they live. It's by the blood of Jesus. That's the only way that we can ever be saved in Christ's life. Now, uh, I appreciate the introduction here on the film of Paraguago because that was my introductory remarks for my opening uh, message this morning. So, so I'm going to go ahead and read it anyway, if I can. In John chapter 13. And supper being ended, and the devil having put Judas in his place. What happened? In less than 12 hours from that meeting in that semi-dark upper room where they all ate with Jesus and talked with him, he was going to die. But he wanted to inform his disciples and teach them of what they were going to be faced with. You're going to face persecution. You're going to face embarrassment. Some of you are going to be put out of synagogue. And some of you are either going to go, are you, are you going to leave me. When you see me dangling on that cross, you're going to run. You're going to hide. You're going to go home. Or some of you go back to the upper room. You're going to leave me. But I'll send you a comforter. And that comforter will be with you always. So... I want to share with you this morning 
some of the things about Passover. And that's what this whole setting is all about, the Passover. There were three feasts that was ultimate and important in the Jewish life. There was a Passover, there was a Feast of Tabernacles, and then there was a Feast of Pentecost. You remember the Feast of Pentecost when several thousand people became born again? And you remember the, the, the Passover in the book of uh, Exodus where God said that all the firstborn of the Egyptian majesty was going to die if they didn't have the blood over the door. And so the Jewish people had the assignment to go out and kill a lamb, sprinkle his blood on the threshold on the top there where it could be seen. And then when the death angel came, if there was blood on that lintel or that doorpost, he would pass over them. But if not, then every firstborn of the Egyptian regime died, whether cattle or humans or whatever it was. And this is the sign that kept all the signs when Moses was talking to Pharaoh. This was the one that convinced him that God is I am. And he let the children of Israel go. So that's the feast of the Passover. Now, in, in Jerusalem, in Israel, at that particular time of year, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people that came to attend the Passover. Many of them came many miles. Many of them came hungry and wretched and blind and poor and naked, but they wanted to observe the Passover feast because of their thankfulness to God for what he had done. So the city became so enlarged, with, with engaged with so many people, they had to expand the area around them, and the area is called Bethphage. Bethphage was a counterpart of uh, Jerusalem, just like East Ridge or Red Bank is of Chattanooga. They got so big that the city had to expand. So here we are with thousands of people come there to hear the message connected with the Feast of the Passover. So when we think of the Passover today, what do we think of? We think of the cross. We think of uh, flowers. They're beautiful. But I would like to introduce you to some steps that will enable you to enjoy our friend, the Comforter, more than you ever have in your life. First of all, let me say this, that the Holy Spirit is the third part of God. He is not an it. He is what we call the Comforter, the Paraclete, the Overcomer. And when Jesus says, I'll send a Comforter, that word Comforter was very, very difficult to interpret from the Greek language. So they came up with the word Comforter. So it can also mean guide. It can mean uh, a light. It can mean anything that would benefit us as we travel and try to seek God's will for our lives. But the Holy Spirit, once we became a Christian, He dwelled within our heart. Now, since He's there, what are we going to do with Him? Are we going to leave him dormant? Are we going to let him be a, a, an influential part of our life and our family? 
in our livelihood and our spiritual relationship in society? Well, Jesus says this, the Holy Spirit shall guide you. You know what that means? You need to be guided. <laughs> That's simple, isn't it? We're like sheep that's going astray. A sheep is the dumbest animal in the New Testament, in the Bible. They can't be left alone. They have to be watched for and cared for. If one gets locked down, somebody has to pick it up. It doesn't have enough sense to get up on his own feet. And sometimes we're like sheep. We're so dog-minded about some things and blinded with the world. We walk right into Satan's trap. But if the Holy Spirit is not dormant in your life, if he's active in your life, that Spirit of God is going to remind you, don't go there. Now, you're like me, and most of you are, and some, we just don't like to be told. Amen? But my friend, let me tell you this. It's time we better learn to listen. We better learn to, if we listen to the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the paraclete, the overseer, the advocate, whatever you want to name him, he's going to guide us away from any problems or prepare us for a problem. I read some time ago about a, a uh, construction worker, <clears throat> very successful in his business in another state, and the preacher says this, uh, says this of him, says every year he will take a week off and go over in a cabin or, or on the lake or in the mountain somewhere and the only thing he'll take with him is his Bible and a notepad. And he prays and reads, he prays and reads and he says to the pastor, he says, I never make a decision about my business that I don't consult God. He says the Holy Spirit has given me in, in, an intuition to tell who to hire and not to hire. How to conduct the business here and the business there. And the man is a wealthy multimillionaire. Why? Because he let the Spirit, the Comforter, guide him. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be a, a millionaire or a wealthy person, but I'm not saying... But I'm simply saying that as an illustration of what will happen if we let God rule in our lives. Now, let's talk about the Holy Spirit and his activities. I know that a lot of people think the Holy Spirit, you immediately think about the Pentecostal churches. How they wear bobbed up, don't wear makeup, don't wear pants. But that, that's, that's their life, okay? We're not going to try to change them. But that's their attitude toward the Holy Spirit. They think that's going to impress God. But let me tell you what. They may shout. They may swing the chandeliers. And they may jump over three or four pews. But you know what? They're wearied when they do that. And that brings me to say this. It's not the Holy Spirit that made them wearied. They were wearied before the Holy Spirit came in their lives. A weird person is going to be weird whatever he does and wherever he goes. But the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily want you jumping over pews and running around the whole building here. If he wants you to, you do it. You obey him. 
but I doubt that he'll do that. He might. I won't doubt it. And another thing that the Holy Spirit does for us, he teaches us what to say and what not to say. And believe me, a lot of us need that. Especially what not to say. Sometimes we get into an argument or a discussion with people and it gets out of control. And the other one says, well, I just believe the Holy Spirit wants me to say this. And they say, well, the Holy Spirit wants me to say this. The Holy Spirit wants me to say this. And the next thing you know, you've got four or five people that can't tell the difference between the Holy Spirit and the devil. God is not the other confusion. When, Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is in our midst and there's harmony and unity, then the Holy Spirit is in control. Sometimes we want to express ourselves. And sometimes it's best you don't. You're not proving anything to anybody when you speak your peace. You're speaking it all right, but you're not letting the Holy Spirit guide you and comfort you. Now, I know from experience the Holy Spirit of God will give you peace. He'll give you power. He'll give you illumination. And I know this. When we get out of line, he's going to take care of it. And believe me, he knows how to do it. And sometimes the results of getting out of line last a long time. And sometimes it's not. So the Holy Spirit is a guide. He's a, he's a comforter. He's going to take care of you. In John 14 and 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man come to the Father but through me or by me. My oldest son pastors, he's 35 years in Lafayette, Louisiana. And that's Cajun country. And that's Catholic country. And believe me, a lot of people in that city down there, they'll live like hell through the week and go to Mass on Saturday night or Sunday morning and think all is okay. Hey, it's not okay. Jesus said, except you repent and be baptized. There's, there's the, the word I like, thing I like to think about, repenting, it has results. If a person is caught up in a flagrant business or attitude or a deportment or conduct and God reveals to him he's doing the wrong thing and he disregards God and he lets him go and eventually he's gone as far as he can go and then his life's disrupted. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, the third part of the triune nature living in you wants to become involved in your life. Unloose him. Just like the colt when Jesus went into Jerusalem, he sent his disciples ahead of him and told him to go to a certain place and there you'll find a donkey and a colt and unloose it and bring it to me. <clears throat> if they say anything, tell them I have need of him. Jesus didn't use that very often. He didn't need anything that God couldn't supply. 
But he said that in, to illustrate his power and the, and the uh, miracle that he's going to perform. And when he got on that lowly donkey, he put him in, himself in the position of a slave or a defeated king riding into Jerusalem among the palm branches and the clothes and the clothes that they took off. So what was the purpose of that? That was the last leg of his journey. The cross loomed just ahead of what he's doing. So the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you and something else he'll, he'll teach you. Now, some people just aren't teachable. Why? <laughs> Hard head, soft. Well, it's hard to teach some people. And some people are very easy to teach. I think of these little children up here singing a while ago. I thought, man, what came to my mind was the book of Proverbs. You train up a child in the way he should walk, and when he is old, he won't depart from it. So you've got a, you've got a good mark on your side already about these kids. I'm thankful for that. So he'll teach you. He'll teach you right from wrong. He'll ask you ask him, and he'll be your helper. He'll never turn you down if it's for God's glory. And sometimes he will even pray for you that you yourself will become an instrument of God's power. I like what Acts 1 and 8 says. After the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive power. Now, when does the Holy Spirit come upon us? At the moment of conversion. When you confess Jesus as Savior, Him to come into your life, then the Holy Spirit comes into your life forever. You can't take Him out. He's there, period. And then He says, and after the power comes, what's He going to You shall be my witness. What's a witness? A witness is someone that stands up and verifies the fact, whatever the matter is, that it happened that way. So many of us have overlooked the fact that we're not normal Christians because the Holy Spirit doesn't have anything in involvement in our life or control in our life. And anybody that's really under the influence of the Holy Spirit, other people make fun of him and say, he's, he's cuckoo. But listen, the reason that the Holy Spirit is dormant is because of a personal selection. He's there. And he's everywhere you go. He wants to be with you. He wants to be a part of you. He wants to guide you. He wants to help you. He wants to teach you. What's he going to teach you? He's going to teach you the word of God. He's going to teach you right from wrong. He's going to teach you to go the right path and not the wrong one. That's the way God is. He said, I shall not leave you comfortless. Wherever I go, God is with me. In 1976, a group of, of pastors from Chattanooga went to India for a five-week evangelistic crusade. <laughs> it was supposed to have been a first-class <laughs> reservation. <laughs> but I woke, got in there after dark. To a, it supposed to have been a three-star hotel and it looked like something... <laughs> Somebody needs to tear it down. 
But that, that was their life. <clears throat> and the next morning, I walked out on the sidewalk, and I saw a sight that I never thought I'd see. And I thought, first thing that came to my mind, run. Catch the next plane and go home. I really felt like that. But that wasn't just Holy Spirit leading me. In a few days, they broke us down into groups. And they sent us out in different areas geographically of India. And I was, I was in shock. I was afraid. And they had a youth choir come out there, Indian girls, come up there and they started singing, God will take care of you wherever you go. God will take care of you. And I, tell you, I just relaxed. That song to the Holy Spirit comforted me and gave me the initiative to stay over there and for five weeks and lose about 15 pounds. Because you don't eat like they do and they don't eat like you do. Believe me, they don't. But what I'm saying is this. The Holy Spirit worked in that donkey's life. How do I know that? Simply this. When a horse or a donkey is the first straddled, a person first straddles in the first time, he's going to buck and snort and kick. That little donkey, being full of the Holy Spirit, just turned right around and let Jesus mount him and walked right into Jerusalem. I see a parallel there. Donkeys by nature are stubborn and aggressive at times and rejecting of their owner. Sometimes we sheep get stubborn. Don't want to be moved. Don't want to get out of our comfort zone. And God, the Comforter, gives us a message. So what are we, are we going to listen to it? Or are we going to go our own way? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but me. I pity so many people today that are trying to come to God under terms of their own. Back in the early 50s, I knew what church was all about. I went to a little church out in Rossville. Then when I was in the military, I didn't think about the church much, but I prayed every night wherever I was at, but didn't do it right back to the same pattern of life the next day. <clears throat> and one day, the Holy Spirit spoke to me as I was attending church in East Chattanooga Baptist Tabernacle, not the Baptist, East Chattanooga Baptist Church. My habit was, I'd go to Sunday school when I was off on Sundays from the fire department, and then I'd go to Sunday school, and after Sunday school, after church, I'd stay out on the sidewalk, and then when everybody else went in, I went in and sat on the back row. That was my form of religion. And then when the preacher got up to, to give the invitation, and they all bowed their heads like a rat, I ran out the door. I didn't want any part of it. I didn't want to go any further. But one day, one day, Mother's Day, 1966, 
the spirit got a hold of me. I couldn't run. Got ready to go into church. My neighbor's little girls was out there and always good friend, good family friend. They said, come on, Ray, we want to sit with you today. Okay. So we walk in. I looked at that back row. It looked so good. It was empty and waiting on me. But I couldn't stop. We went down about midways of the church. There was room for these little girls and me and their families already there. And they said, get in, Ray. We're going to sit on the end. I choked up. I said, honey, you get in. I may have to get up. And the whole time that preacher preached, I couldn't tell you one word of what he said. All I was hoping, hurry up, hurry up, let's get this over with. And once he concluded his prayer and gave the altar call, that poor man, I hope his ribs are healed by now. I mean, I put a bear hug on that guy. And all the sin and corruption came out of me. And the people in the church were crying and praising God. And, and I couldn't believe it. I didn't know there was that many people in church praying for me. And then, one of the elder ladies looked at Betty, my first wife, going to glory now. Says, Betty, says, looks like you got a preacher on your hands. And she didn't tell me that until I was nearly through a Bible college. Yes, she had a preacher on her hands. And she supported him and loved him and respected him. But that preacher one time, he didn't listen to the comforter. He turned his back. He paid a dear price. But you know what? God is the forgiver of all sin. And I don't know how long you've been struggling with a problem in your life. I don't know how you keep on going without confessing Christ and turning from it. I don't know exactly how you feel about the Holy Spirit. I don't know whether you feel comfortable knowing if you're a Christian, he lives within you. But let me, in closing, let me just tell you some things, two or three things here, that's going to enable you to enjoy the Holy Spirit of God. First of all, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's the first principle. Then there's another principle. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Now, get this. Crucifixion means death. Nevertheless, I live. Not I that liveth, but he that liveth in me, who loved me and gave himself for me. First of all, love God. Secondly, crucify your fleshly nature. Die every day to your impulses that causes you to disregard the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Then thirdly, there's a result of all of this. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, turn over there and read with me. I want you to, I want you to read this with me, Galatians 5, 22. Now here 
is the result of a spirit-filled, born-again believer in God. Not a Sunday go-to-meeting person, but one that loves God. It's demonstrated in his life. If you look at what he said, but the fruit of the Spirit. You know what fruit is? It comes in different forms, different styles, different values, but I love it. The fruit of the Spirit is this. Going down the road. Love. <laughs> now, we'll stop right there. If you don't love God, if you don't love the Holy Spirit, if you don't love people, then you can't go. You're not going to be a Spirit-filled, empowered Christian. He says, love. Love brings joy, happiness, wonderful things in life. Peace. You're not paranoid. You don't think there's a booger behind every tree. When you have the Spirit of God resting in you and leading you and directing you and guiding you, you have peace that passes all understanding. And that peace you can't buy. It doesn't come in pills and capsules. It comes in crucifixion of self, dying to self. Then notice something else. Long-suffering. Patience. Patient. Some things you have to pray about to be patient about. Some things just irritate the you know what out of you. <laughs> I was going to say it's not, but I won't say that. <laughs> but you're going to have to learn to love them and you have peace with them, long suffering, and gentleness. I like that word gentleness. I tell you, it. It's nothing like being with somebody that loves the Lord as much as you do and see how kind and how gentle they act, how they talk. They're not criticizing somebody. They're building people up. Gentleness is not talking about or gossiping somebody or showing one talking about another's faults and inability to do things. Gentleness, goodness. Now, all of these are the fruit of the Spirit. If you feel with the Spirit of God, or if you, if you release the comforter who's been in dormant so long in your life, faith, meekness. Meekness is strength in, under control. Self-control. Where's your temper? Well, preacher, you just don't know how. Sometimes I just lose. Well, you better quit losing it. Self-control against such there is no law or no limit. Now, this is a passage of having the comforter help you and guide you and feed you. Now, look in verse 24. And they that are Christ, notice that word again, crucified the flesh. What is the flesh? Your old sin nature, your desire to be like the world. The world is not yours. It's the devil's. He's the power of, the, of all the world outside of the kingdom of God. So we see here that they, are, they have crucified the flesh with the affections and the love. Well, 
well, I, I, I died of this, died of that, but I've got to hold on to this. this. This right here, I might need that sometime. No, you don't. You've got to, you've got to remember, it's crucified the flesh. The fleshly desires. I know I, I'm not against stock car racing. Some of you are racing fans, that's fine. I don't, I, don't, I don't buy tickets for it. I don't go and it's too noisy. It's just not a, but I know I'm a man. And every time they had a stock car race in Talladega, Alabama, and he went to church religiously every time the doors opened, but a certain time on Sunday morning when he, they were going to race in Alabama at Talladega, he would leave that church and go down there. But he loved the Lord, and he loved the pastor, and he loved, the, he loved his church. But he loved the pleasures of the flesh more than he loved God. So the reward goes on. If we walk in the light, or if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit means you control this. This. That little thing right there. It causes you more trouble than you can ever get out of. Speak the peace of mind and the peace of Christ, not your mind. God says, in everything, give thanks in prayer and supplications. Notice something else there. Verse 26. Let us not be desiring of vain glory, <laughs> provoking one another, envying one another. I believe that if we are under the power of the Holy Spirit, these negatives will have effect on our lives. But now one more final thing. Let me conclude with this right here. You saw the fruit of the Spirit. You know what brings it on. And you know what deters it. You're living a life empty. If these fruits are not in your life. And I say that with love and compassion. I don't say that critically. I'm simply saying for the kingdom of God and for your own, own sake. Adhere what God's word says. Now in verse chapter 1 of chapter 6. Brethren... Now, he doesn't say this to people who's not in the church. He's addressing the church of Galatia. He's a born-again Christian. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, led by the comforter, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself that you also may be tempted. I made a statement one time that if I ever went back into pastorate, which I, I don't think I will, I'm too worn out, I was going to bring a, a basket of rocks. I was going to set them down here by the remembrance table. And then when I prayed for the invitation, all of you that are without sin, come up here, get your rock, and just throw it any way you want to go. But you know what? Nobody would pick up a rock because their sins are just as bad as ours, and ours is just as bad as theirs. But God loves sinners. Satan don't want you to be spirit-filled, 
Satan doesn't want you to know what the comforter does in your life. Satan does not want you to listen to the comforter, but God does. And he's speaking to you right now. He's telling you, you had me in a dark corner too long. Release me. Let me be filled with the Spirit of God. Is that your feelings? Father, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your love, your kindness, and for the reward of being faithful by giving us the comforter that we may listen to him, walk with him, guide him, and tell others about him. We know that the Holy Spirit doesn't advertise himself, but we who are spiritual does it through our lifestyle. May your blessings be with this invitation. If needs to talk with the pastor, he'll be standing down front. May you lead and guide in a special way for Jesus' sake. Amen. Will you stand, please?